Hello everyone and welcome to another episode in the Shared Ireland podcast series. Today is Tuesday the 16th of June so due to um, the ongoing restrictions around COVID-19 once again we will be recording this podcast via the phone. So today's guest has only been an MLA in the Northern Assembly since January 2020. He worked for the Treasury and also is a journalist, even though at the moment he's obviously not practising. He was a civil servant in 10 Downing Street also. Uh, So it gives Shared Ireland great pleasure to welcome the SDLP's MLA, Matthew O'Toole. Welcome along to the Shared Ireland podcast, Matthew. Hi, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be with you. No problem. Pleasure to have you. Matthew, um, we generally start off by asking our guests for the benefit of some of our listeners that may not be overly familiar with you to explain a little bit about your early years and um, I suppose what ultimately brought you to where you are today, if you don't mind. I imagine there would have been strenuous security checks ran on your background before you got that job. Matthew, before we get into, um, I suppose, what we're here to discuss today, just keeping on this um, subject about you working in 10 Downing Street, could you name for us the, the Prime Ministers that you worked under? Um, he was he was re-elected with a uh, small conservative majority. He then 
um, obviously resigned after the Brexit referendum in 2016 and Theresa May took over. Mm-hmm. I've worked for both of them, different politicians with different styles. I should say I've never been a conservative supporter. Part of the point of being a civil servant is that you, you know, you have to work for politicians who you might completely disagree with. Yes. And I did completely disagree with both of those, but um, you know, part of the, the professional challenge of being an official is that you, you, um, you, you, you work hard for whoever the government of the day is, and that's true here as well. You know, there'll be people who are working for executive departments who don't agree with the mm-hmm. the, the, politi- the, the party that's in, in, in power. Um, but I work for, for, for two different um, prime ministers, I think. Um, you know, both fundamentally, um, uh, you know, had, had reasonable qualities. Um, I, I would say, and unfortunately, both of them, in the case of Cameron, called the referendum um, uh, for pretty um, reckless reasons. Um, and, and in the run of the referendum, gave very little consideration to the effects on Ireland. Um, Theresa May, a person who's, you know, is not a, um, in many ways, not a bad person, has, a, you know, has, I think, certain impulses in the right direction, but unfortunately also has a tendency to indulge um, the hard right of the Tory party. She really gave absolutely no consideration to the needs of, of the North um, whenever she first drew up her Brexit red lines, and that was when I was still there and still working on Brexit. And I did find that quite difficult or very difficult. Mm-hmm. Tell me this again, uh, just um, quickly. Um, if I was to say to you, do you honestly believe that the three people that I'm about to name for you now, have they genuinely got a a real interest in what happens here in Ireland, and I suppose particularly in the north of Ireland. The first one being Theresa May, the second one being David Cameron, and the third one being Boris Johnson. Um, the, 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 the last one, I think the answer is a definitive no. Um, the other two, I think, uh, have um, an interest, but it's misguided, and they've done very stupid things. Um, with it, you know, they are, I suppose, one of the bits of context, I suppose, that you would think about now, you're thinking about the last few years in relation to um, policy from London. Um, David Cameron kind of altered the course of UK policy in relation to Northern Ireland, and then he made it much more explicitly unionist, um, and Theresa May continued that. And mm-hmm. I think part of the challenge is that that happened without really any serious debate in Westminster actually without that much serious um, examination in the north here, possibly in Dublin, of, of, of what that would mean and what the consequences would be. Um, Theresa May, I think, is, um, she would claim to be a, a unionist, and I think she is, and I think she's sincere in that, and I think it's important that, you know, you, we acknowledge people people in, um, in England, English Conservatives, have a right to, to, to be unionist if, if they want that, that's their perspective. Of having a, a strong 
a strong opinion one way or the other. There's a kind of um, indifference and lack of curiosity about the, the complexity of the faith and that leads to very bad outcomes. And, and, and that's part of what happened um, uh, with, with Brexit. Ultimately, May got to a place where she realised, Jesus, I cannot be the person who presides over a hardening of the border um, on the island of Ireland. And in part, she realised, because she is a um, she is a unionist, she realised that it would be, if that happened, that it would be um, very bad for um, uh, you know what, what, what she would see as a priority, which is which is a union. Um, but she came to that view very, very belatedly. She didn't she didn't take it seriously. She didn't engage with it in enough detail, really, until it was too late, and until she both lost her majority and also struck a deal with um, the Democratic Unionist Party. And there was never going to be any situation in which um, she was going to be able to come to a um, you know serious, considered policy in relation to the North whenever she was effectively um, uh, being held ransom in large part by the DUP. Mm-hmm. M- moving on, if I may, Matthew. Yes, I think it's out there now this week because it was going on a bit about Theresa May, but I think it is, I mean, I think while both Cameron and May had their deep and profound problems and major objections to the way they handled this place, um, there was some glimmer of um, uh, reasonable intention and some glimmer of, I suppose, wanting to stabilise the, the institutions. They, 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 there, there, is, there is a degree of sincerity there, albeit out of loads of other criticisms about, about their handling of the place. Um, uh, honest, I, I'm not sure how that, to be honest. I, I have a very, very low opinion of Boris's um, uh, intentions in relation to this place. I think it is pretty, though I don't share their constitutional perspective or their politics generally, I think it's pretty um, shaming that he essentially went to the DEP conference and as we know now, pretty much lied to their face. I don't think that, that any of us, whether we have a complete, whatever our constitutional perspective, should be relaxed about the idea of um, a political party here having a, a British Prime Minister go to their conference and um, effectively subsequently humiliate them. Uh, I don't share their I don't share their politics, and in many ways they build on themselves by indulging his his you know the Brexiteers. But um, but he behaves absolutely terribly in relation to this place, and of course the, the various other things that his government's doing now in relation to the legacy are are, are, are extremely bad and, and forcing a hard Brexit. But the, but he is definitely um, by far at the bottom of the class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think you would get many disagreeing with you on that. Um, what about our current Secretary of State, Brandon Lewis, um, Matthew? Um, a couple of questions on him, if you don't mind. Did you know him before he became the Secretary of State for the North of Ireland? And if so, what sort of a, a man do you believe he is? And what sort of a person uh, and what sort of a, a job will he make here, do you believe?
nationalism among the Shannon people, uh, the, you know, people in the middle of the world than, than, than really any Tory Secretary of State in the last decade. Um, Brandon Lewis is, hasn't really shown anywhere near that, that level of engagement as yet. So I think he's really, um, he is really un, unproven. Um, uh, you know, we're pretty depressed to see him go on. He went on the, on the Today programme, the, the radio programme, the big sort of, the, 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 the sort of flagship morning news programme. I listened to him a few weeks back. And I didn't ask him a single question about the, about about Northern Ireland. I just thought, you know, I'm fairly used to that. Now, you know, but whenever that's his day job and that's his main area of responsibility, and there are so many issues facing this place, it, it really bothered me that um, that he wasn't questioned about it. So I suppose that what that tells you is that rather than his may not his primary focus, his own primary focus may not be on Northern Ireland. You know, he's he, he's come here in unique times, so I suppose. He had the opportunity to, to um, uh, he had the opportunity to, um, to do to do things in his own way. But uh, early signs, you know, aren't necessarily uh, that he's um, as uh, engaged, perhaps, as his predecessor. Matthew, I think it's universally accepted um, by all our political uh, representatives and parties, including the media and the perception from uh, the general public as well, that Julian Smith was somebody that um, I suppose created a rapport with the political parties here. And he was seen to be the main architect, obviously along with Simon Coveney, I accept that fully. Um, but that, that without his, I suppose, personal touch, that the institutions here may not have been restored. Would that be something that you would agree with, or maybe you have your own take on that? Well, no, I think that's right. Um, um, so, in, in, in part, maybe I've, I've him to blame for, for for my for my change in career in one sense, um, because there would have been an assembly back up uh, certainly at that particular moment. No, I think he does. Uh, he and both Simon Cooney, as you said, to and Donister for the time being, um, uh, um, worked very hard to get the institutions back up. I think there is a one of the things about the, the settlement here is that you, you you know you do need to have political leaders engaged, uh, secretaries of state engaged on a constant basis, uh, both in secretaries of state in London, but also ministers in, in Dublin engaged in what's happening in the north. That's just the nature of the political settlement here, um, and um, and he was more engaged, frankly. Um, you know, there were, there were several years of, for several years, no institutions. And, you know, to be honest, it is, frankly, the eternal shame of um, uh, both, I think, the governments in London, but also the broader political class, that it wasn't seen as being a bigger problem. That, um, you know, I, I remember actually I was in number 10 whenever the institutions first collapsed. I remember having a bet with a colleague um, about when political journalists who went to the number 10 daily briefing would finally ask about the institutions in Northern Ireland collapsing. And they just didn't. It took weeks for everyone, for anyone to notice. It just wasn't seen as being a, um, a core issue. There really is just a, um, uh, an, an indifference. And I don't say that in a, in a, in a um, you know, in a moaning way. It's, it's, just a, a, it's just a sad fact, but it does mm-hmm. have consequences here. Why do you think Julian Smith was um, was given the axe here? Well, I think there were. I think you come back to to the to the nature 
Vegas who are determined to force you to kind of Brexit really hard, Brexit, no matter what the economic consequences, no matter what the political consequences, they're determined to force you through, and they don't really like dissent, and they don't like anyone who questions their approach or who questions the way they operate. Mm-hmm. So they, um, uh, Julian Smith, um, all accounts are that he did speak up um, uh, in relation to, for example, no deal Brexit last year. He wasn't happy with the direction of then forcing a, the, what was the original no deal, if you like, last year before Boris changed the deal. Um, he um, he was willing to speak up to his credit mm-hmm. um, for, um, for the political settlement here and for the, um, for the, the breed of fragility of this place. Um, and that's not something that Dominic Cummings, Boris, or the um, some of the, um, how, how can I put it, um, extreme uh, advisors around them Again, they also knew that um, you know they would have things like the um, the video, things that, that that would probably cause them to <laughs> to um, to raise eyebrows again, including around legacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you know this very um, they certainly made very uh, I would say uncomfortable, dangerous noises about what they want to do on legacy. Uh, and I'm not sure he would have been as um, malleable as um, perhaps Brandon Lewis might be. And before we put this subject to bed, um, do you miss living in and around the London area, Matthew?
You, you just mentioned football there. I suppose one of the main reasons why um, you'll possibly miss living in England is um, for your sins. You're a Man United fan, so I must confess here I'm a fanatical Liverpool fan. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad to see that your team is um, suffering. So um, long may it, long may it last. <laughs> Matthew, I'm, I'm very surprised to hear a politician say that Liverpool's uh, win will be slightly tarnished. That sounds like sour grapes. No, I would doubt not. Moving back closer to home, uh, Matthew, how did your appointment come about to replace Claire Hanna for the MLA in South Belfast? Um, and I was on, on January the 11th I, I um, signed 
Claire, your um, party colleague, um, recently, well, last year, actually, did a podcast with ourselves, and um, it was very uh, enjoyable to speak to Claire. Uh, but Claire, obviously, is well known in around um, the north and throughout the island, obviously, and I believe she hails originally, or her parents, from Galway, is that correct? Yeah, she's got much active show with Claire's. I think it was down around... around. Yeah, I suppose the reason why I bring that up and bring Claire into the, the conversation here, Matthew, is because, as I said originally, she's well-known and an established um, politician. I suppose my point here is, have you really got a connection with your constituents in South Belfast? Society 
and particularly South Belfast is deferred diversion. People are coming from all over the place, so so perhaps it's no bad thing with people leaving and coming back. Yeah, in your response there to that question, Matthew, you mentioned people, you know, um, maybe changing careers. Is this a career move for you, or are you genuinely passionate? about your new role and what you can bring to society here? Um, well, I would say it's the latter. Um, to be honest, now, in some ways, you know, my um, it's a significant amount of upheaval to, um, and, and not without risk for me to, to, to take on the role. I thought long and hard about whether I could contribute to I suppose, public life here, representing people in South Belfast, the big debates that we're going to be having in the next few years, and I wouldn't have done it if I was, um, uh, I wouldn't have done it if I was, if it was a, you know, if I wasn't serious about it. Um, Tell me this, Matthew, what can you contribute, and what are your attributes? Well, I suppose, I suppose what I can contribute is, um, well, well, a couple of things. First of all, I've, um, uh, I've been, not that being outside is, a, not, not that having left and then coming back isn't, isn't necessarily a good because as I said I think we have too many people leaving and not enough coming back but I do think you get a bit of external perspective yeah um, I would agree with that you think you get a bit of I think you get a bit of external perspective on the place I um, I think I've I, I would hope anyway that I've got a way that I've been able to look at it from outside and you know that, that gives me a bit of perspective perhaps that that, that, that maybe others don't have albeit there are lots of able diligent people already and across the parties in the assembly um, so, so there's that obviously there's specific bits of, um, bits of experience I have pretty experienced in Whitehall um, and maybe, you know I'm not um, so, uh, so scrutiny doesn't um, doesn't frighten me scrutiny of um, our machinery of government here doesn't frighten me there, there are specific areas where we really need to do better and um, uh, well, there are specific areas where all governments including the one in Whitehall um, need to do a lot better but I think having worked inside government that does give you a, you know having worked inside any government and then going it, it being your job to scrutinise government that gives you a bit of and that you know perhaps the perspective that, um, that, that is useful um, and then the other bit in terms of contribution like now you know I you asked me but was it was this a career move well, you know I left a pretty decent career in the civil service because I mostly because I was pretty exercised by what was happening to the island of Ireland through the Brexit process. I could have stayed. Um, it wouldn't have since it would have been better for my career if I'd stayed in, in, um, in Whitehall in the civil service and gone and done, um, gone and stayed there and got promoted and, and, um, and, do, and done all of that. That would have been a uh, probably a wiser um, career move than doing what I did two and a half years ago, which is leaving um, and spending time writing and um, in effect complaining and throwing stones at where I had been working before because of the failings of the policy in relation to Brexit. So I spent quite a long time writing about um, what was happening in the North, writing about what was happening with Brexit and trying to offer a serious, detailed critique of, of the failings of, um, of, of, of the policies um, in relation to, to the North. So I would hope I can bring some of that. I hope some of what I said was coherent. I hope it's contributed to the debate for a couple of years uh, and again I could have continued doing that I could have continued not taking responsibility uh, but uh, you know being a, as it were a commentator um, but I was offered the opportunity to, to take responsibility and to um, you know be accountable for, for what I say and for the, for the votes I make and for, for, for what my party does and for people in my constituency and 
responsibility, not looking for praise for doing it. it it's, a, it's an immense privilege and it's a real opportunity for me. But um, but I would hope that my um, my intentions are 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 um, are, um, are the right ones. Um, I don't know whether I'll be successful. I might fall flat on my face, but I will give it a, a give it a, a good faith shot. That's great, and um, I certainly hope that you are successful and do uh, bring some sort of a unique change or to to things here. So well done for that, and and of course it would have been a massive uh, move for yourself and of course um, your family. I'm sure Matthew. So um, well done on that, um, Matthew. Why was the SDLP the right fit for you? What was it about the SDLP? Their ethos, their whole, um, their the party, their objectives. What was it that made them the right fit for you as a person, and why possibly did you not consider another political party? Well, I suppose um, broadly speaking, um, I'm if I was to define my politics, and this would have been the case. Yeah, very good. Uh, just before we finish um, part one of this podcast, Matthew, 
Um, we're going to actually break this podcast down into two parts. So uh, for any of our listeners, this will be um, the end of part one, but make sure and stay tuned for part two. My final question for you here is, how have you settled in in Stormont as your role as a newly, uh, new MLA? Um, well, it's probably for others to judge now, whether I've conformed that in my face or done okay. I, like, I've certainly enjoyed some of the challenges. Um, it has been, it's obviously a, a, a strange time to be doing it because of COVID-19. Um, so that has completely shaped the experience. Um, a lot of what we've been debating has been in the context of COVID-19. As I said, for a few months there, you know, we're kind of, we, you know, we're, 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 we all have been operating on the basis that politics um, uh, on these islands have been transformed by Brexit. That's still true. But, but then we, you know, we've found this, this new shocking thing which has happened, COVID-19, and we're all unclear to what that this means for politics, our economy, our society. Mm-hmm. So all that's, um, all that's been, been, been um, you know, quite big to adjust to. But, um, but it's also been rewarding to be able to so, for example, as a, a when you're a civil servant, the two the, the, the two roles I've had in my life before, um, my adult life, I suppose, um, uh, have been um, being a journalist and a civil servant. Um, both of those, I think, have been very shaping for me, and they've, and they've really given me experience and perspective that I use now. But you know, your civil service, civil servant work in central government, you don't you don't necessarily see a huge amount of output from your work, and if you're a Very good, very good. Okay, um, so folks, please come back and join us in part two of the interview with MLA for South Belfast, Matthew O'Toole.